0: for uh, inviting me to be out here today. It is always cool to come and hang out with the guys at K2. Uh, I've really enjoyed working with Dave Nelson with Vision 360 and this church planning movement, uh, something that God's put on both of our hearts. Uh, but you know, it seems like every time I come to K2, something really cool happens. I, I preached here uh, before this building even existed when it was just the red box. Uh, Dave let me come and preach a vision, and... Uh, encourage people to come with us to Ogden to plant our church. Uh, and when that happened, I had a gentleman named Stephen Souls who came with me. Uh, he's been with us since day one and has recently sold everything that he owns and has gone to a full-time ministry school in Louisiana and is coming back uh, to do full-time ministry at the Genesis Project. This is a guy that's 50 years old uh, and really just sold everything he had to follow Jesus. I don't think there's much more cool things than that. And then the second time I preached here was Super Bowl Sunday, Dave threw me under the bus on that one. Uh, But being from New Orleans, you knew what happened on Super Bowl Sunday. And, dude, it, it snowed three times in Louisiana... This year, and the Saints won the Super Bowl, Jesus is coming back any day now. (laughs) So again, just looking forward to being with you guys. It seems like every time I come here, God does something big. Um, And today we're talking about divine devotion and earthly temptation. And I think that's something that all of us struggle with. Um, you know, the coolest thing about our Lord and Savior is that salvation is the easiest thing in the world. Um, Our church is a lot like K2. It doesn't look like normal church. Uh, We get a lot of rocks thrown at us, and we had some crazy religious nut that was yelling at me one day, and uh, he accused our church of preaching easy salvationism, and I don't even know if that's a word or not, Um, but I stopped, and I thought about it for a second, and I said, yeah, I'll own that one. Yes, we do. We preach easy salvationism because salvation is the easiest thing in the world. Our God has sent his son to do all the hard work. Um, but this is, the, this is the, the thing that pulls us. As that living life as a Christian in this world is one of the hardest things to do. And so there's, there's a struggle there. There's a struggle between this grace that God gives us that didn't cost us anything and then this life that we have to live, which really he calls us to give away everything. And I think that's an important question to answer as we move forward, as we grow up in the Lord. We need to know what that looks like. And so um, today we're going to be teaching out of the book of Second Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 14 uh, through chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what, f- what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And, you know, even as um, pastors, we all struggle with temptation. You see that on the news just about, um, you know, at least a few times a year where some big evangelical leader struggles and gives in to temptation. Um, and we have uh, a video that Mr. Rutt has put together this morning that I'd like you guys to watch about uh, getting up and trying to do what's right and falling sin to temptation. You know, we've all fallen into that place. If the day just ended at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd weigh 60 pounds less than I do right now. i turn into the cookie monster at like after 8 o'clock. They're calling me. You know, one thing that I am celebrating today, I actually was reading in my journal this week. Uh, this Sunday is actually to the day, uh, the 14th year, uh, back to when I accepted Christ. And uh, yeah, cool celebration. And I just it started getting me thinking about, you know, how much my life changed. That was a, that was a pretty... Uh, I don't know if it was young and old I was 27 years old but uh, had really lived a full life at 27 all the sex, drugs, rock and roll that I could get had a lot of business success Um, and every time that I would reach this pinnacle of whatever I wanted to do whether it was in business or I owned restaurants I owned some live music clubs every time I would reach it and, and it would come to fruition I remember just feeling this empty spot on the inside of me thinking, man, I I thought that this time would be it. I thought that this was the thing. And I just remember when I accepted Christ, it was just like so simple and so plain and so fulfilling. That big God sized hole in my gut was filled up finally for the first time. And I was kind of obnoxious, (laughs) not kind of, I was really obnoxious for the first six months that I got saved because I just wanted to go tell everybody. I wanted to tell everybody how my life had changed and I didn't know anything at that point in time. So I did the thing that all good new saved people do. I went home and told my whole family they were going to hell. Just to make sure that they understood that. But I was saved now. You know, the arrogant, drunk, egomaniac was now saved and everybody else was going to hell. Um, So, you know, but we grow up. We grow up and we start to understand Christ and we start to get more humble as we get old. And I remember um, about six months after I got saved, I had sold the last nightclub that I owned, but still hung out with those guys and still loved them and They asked me to come in for a martini night and so i said hey i 'll come in for Martini night and I went in, and so they wanted me to taste the new martinis um, and about eighteen tasting martinis later uh, was just hammered. I mean, I was just hammered, and I never considered myself an alcoholic, but I was drunk all the time that 's just what you do in the nightclub and restaurant business. Um, And man, I remember the next day waking up uh, and not just hung over, but just feeling grieved like I've never felt grieved before. I just really felt sorry, whereas all the times before I would have woken up, you know, brushed my teeth, laughed about all the stupid things I did the night before and just went on with business as usual. But I remember that I was grieved and it was really at that point in time where I knew something had changed that something is not the same I can't live the same way anymore and it's gonna be okay something is different about me but really it was a little bit shocking that even six months into my walk that I just began to take things for granted already and isn't that something that we do with everything I mean as we get used to something Not only do we take it for granted, but we have almost an expectation that it will continue to serve us. You know, it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, You look around today and, you know, remember when, does anybody even remember TV dinners? (laughs) Remember those things? I mean, the gall to have to turn the the oven on, (laughs) to stick a TV dinner in there and then have to unwrap it. You know, now we've got microwaves and we just blow it up. We nuke our food and put it in there. Remember the days when you had to like get out of the car and go into a restaurant to eat, right? And now we've, now one drive through is not enough. Now we're like obnoxious trying to time which drive through we get into and how we race the person to get through. Or is that just me? (laughs) (laughs) But we've got two drive-throughs now so we can get through quicker. And just everything is just on demand with Netflix. And my phone is probably the most obnoxious thing in the world. It's like a lobotomy if I lose my phone. I can't do anything. I just kind of sit there and stare. I don't have email. I don't have text messaging. I don't have my phone. I don't have my appointments. So I get behind this guy in Walmart the other day. And he's got the same phone I got, the Droid. And it's got that barcode app. Have you seen that thing? It scans barcodes on any product and it pulls it up to tell you where you can get the cheaper one, and it gives you GPS directions on how to get there, right? (laughs) Out of control. We've become so efficient, we can't get anything done anymore. (laughs) So this guy is in front of me, arguing with the cashier at Walmart because they price match, and he has scanned every single thing in his basket, and he's saying, well, Target has this cheaper, and she's like, okay, sir, well, I'll mark that down, and he's, Every item in his basket, he's going through and arguing. I'm thinking, oh goodness, but just, we have this uh, convenience has brought this expectation into our life that really has rocked our world. And it makes it so hard to be committed to something. It makes it so hard to be devoted to something because we have all these false expectations that society puts into our lives. And that is a hard, hard thing to balance with being a Christian, with walking as a child of God, because we have these very unrealistic American expectations of what life should be like that really doesn't match up with what the Bible calls us to be as believers. And I'd really like to talk about that struggle today. And if you would just bow your head with me one moment, I'd like to pray before we go on. Uh, Father, I just thank you for letting me be here today. Uh, I love these people, love Dave and his staff. Uh, you're doing so many great things at K2 and I just pray that, um, today would be a a time where you could speak to us and that we would leave different than when we came in. Um, even if it's mad, glad, or sad, uh, just don't let us leave the same. So father speak to your people today, change hearts. Uh, you know them and love them more than anybody, uh, minister to them today through these words in Christ's name. Amen. So the question becomes this is if we're called to be divinely devoted, If we are called to be divinely devoted to God, what does devotion mean? And I looked up the definition and it says this. It says to have an ardent love or complete commitment to a passion or purpose. Complete commitment to a passion or purpose. You know, with all the things going on in life, last time I was here, we talked about the world kind of being like this carnival that pulls us away from these divine devotions. Um, but listen to what it says here in 2 Corinthians verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1. This starts the chapter that we're going to talk about today. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept the marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation don't take God's grace for granted. And you know, when it... This has been, these 12 men 2,000 years ago started this thing that's called the church, the reason that we're all sitting here today. And it's just like the telephone game. As churches grow and denominations split, and as things go forward, things tend to change. And I think the one way that we have to stay devoted to what God has called us to do is make sure that we continue to go back to his word and not to let philosophy or denominations or religion or people speak into what the church should be or what God has asked us to do. We need to go back to the source, because I can tell you, I will let you down as a pastor, Dave will let you down as a pastor, Men will always let you down. women will always let you down, but the word of God is where we need to go to stay devoted. Second Corinthians 6:14 through16 says this: Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can unrighteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. You know, it says that, and, and I want to I preface this today, and I want you guys to really hear my heart on this. I am the, the farthest thing from a religious nut that you will ever meet. I probably border on the other side a little bit too much. Um, our praise team plays in bar rooms. Um, I helped start in Louisiana, a strip club ministry. Uh, I don't go into the strip clubs, but we have ladies that go into strip clubs and minister to strippers and love them and serve them and give them a safe place for whenever their life falls apart, they have somewhere to go. Um, I love uh, being in barrooms with my Bible because those are the people that Jesus would be with. You know, the religious fanatics in the Bible were yelling at Jesus. They said that he was a a glutton and a wine bibber or a drunkard. I mean Jesus hung out at a well in the middle of a city with a well known whore. Jesus was making wine for a wedding. Jesus was amongst regular, normal people. And hear my heart when I say this, that this verse does not mean that we become some kind of snooty religious fanatic that we separate ourselves from sinners. Because then it becomes chateau Jesus. You're only allowed in if you're saved. We only love you if you look like this, smell like this, talk like this, walk like this, eat in this place. That is not what the gospel is about. And know that that is not what this verse is saying. It says that we should, it says we should be separate from, okay? And do you know this? In the Greek, in the New Testament, the word that they use for church has nothing to do with a building. It even has nothing to do with the place that you meet. The word for church is called the ecclesia. That's the Greek word. And that word literally means the called out ones. It means a group of people that were called out of a certain lifestyle and into a new lifestyle. But even the leader of the church, Paul says, I believe the book is in, it's in first Corinthians. I might be wrong. He says, I've become all things to all men. So by all means I may save some. He says, I became a, to, like a Jew to the Jews and like a Greek to the Greek and like a poor person to the poor people that I could have this platform to share the hope that I have in Christ. So please hear my heart today. I don't want there to be any misconception that we're talking about that we are some on a level higher than other people and we're supposed to separate ourselves from them. But what the verse says is don't team up with or the NIV that we read earlier says to be yoked And really what that means is to be in partnership with, it means a a yoke was a thing that they put on the ox to pull the plow to work in the field. And there was two spots where they would stick oxen in there. And that was the yoke that held them together to do the same thing. And what the scripture is saying is be with these people and love these people and serve these people, but you're not called to act like these people. And the truth is this, is if if we are called to be what we're called to be, we're called to be light in a dark place. And you know that light and darkness, it says in the verse, cannot exist together. I mean, it's a a pretty wise thing. It's very simple. But what happens in any dark room when you turn a light on? It is impossible for darkness and light to dwell in the same place because the light overtakes it. And really what this verse is saying is that we should be that light. That's what we're called to do in ministry is if we're light to bring it to the darkness, guess what? We've got to go into dark places and people throw rocks at our ministry all the time. They say that we're, we preach uh, easy believism or salvationism or other crazy words they come up with. They say we're manufacturing false salvations. And then when you ask them why, and I'm talking about our church at the Genesis project, you ask them why they say oh well people come to your services with tank tops and (laughs) flip-flops okay you have ashtrays outside of your doors and people are smoking i knew there was a guy there that was one time he was drunk i was like you you missed about 20 of them then (laughs) there's a lot more than one (laughs) if if we could just get our drug dealers to tithe we would be the biggest church in all of utah But, you know, that's, that's what we're called to be. We are called to bring light to darkness. And this is what I tell them. If you are not being accused of doing that kind of ministry, you're probably not doing enough ministry. If it looks more like what happens inside of the four walls of your building and everybody looks and feels the same and it's a safe place, let me tell you something. Ministry is messy, it's sloppy it's chaotic it's not neat it is not easy it is not comfortable but as the light of the world we are called to go into chaos and bring order we're called to go into darkness and to bring light but think about this is if we start to team up with if we start to be yoked together with darkness we don't have that opportunity anymore when we go into the darkness we are the darkness we look like the darkness we can't bring change And that's really the heartbeat of that verse is that we have to bring change. This is the thing that I want you to hear. Devotion, divine devotion will change your life. It's the only thing that can change your life. K2, the church will not change your life if you're not devoted to God. You could be devoted to K2, the church and not devoted to God And still not have your life change. Divine devotion is the only thing that will change your life. There's so many people that are looking for quick fixes and formulas and the pill to take. I don't know how many pills there are on TV that I could take for a a month and work out 10 minutes a day and look like the, the guys on TV there. And everybody wants that. Everybody wants that quick fix. That's not how it works devotion to God gives you the power to change everything and no group, no formula, no calling, no speaker, no motivation will change your life without devotion to God 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 21 therefore if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house ready for every good work. Hebrews 6, uh, verses 7 through 8 says a very similar thing. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if the field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. And you know, I don't, I don't think burn it here is even talking about hell, to be honest with you. I think that it's just like we do when we want things to grow. You burn it and you tear it down and then it grows back up again. I don't think this is a, a threat of hell if you're not a holy person. But it really says a very simple thing is that blessings in your life, fulfillment in your life is because of usefulness to God. And I don't know about you guys, But to me, all the, the money, sex, drugs, rock and roll, everything that I experienced in my life does not hold a candle to when I can go home at the end of the day and know that God used me. You know, when I'm feeling like crap, one of the best things to do is to go out and serve and love people. We had a thing we did on Friday night. We went to the local laundromats in Ogden. We brought about 200 bucks in quarters and coffee, and we just started paying for people's laundry, folding their laundry, giving them free coffee, and walking them to their car with umbrellas because it was raining. And I had had a really, really bad day. My son punched me in the nose. He's seven, and it's weird because you're like proud of him that he stepped up and punched somebody. You're just mad that it was you. It was an accident. And I just, it was just one of those days where everything would go wrong all the time. But man, when I got out there and we just started simply serving and loving people, man, I was so fired up that night. I didn't want to go to bed. I just wanted to praise God because you see other people that had the same day as you that didn't know Jesus. And then when you bring your light into their dark place, you see their eyes light up. You see them smile. They start to laugh. They might share stories with you. And you get that chance to invest and really make a difference. And that's the only thing God really wants from us. And I don't know if that sounds a little fanatical or harsh to say, if you're not used by God, you're not serving a purpose. It's just the truth. But let me ask you this question. Don't we do the same thing with our own kids? Don't we only bless our kids when they're doing what we ask them to do? And it doesn't mean that we won't, we're going to throw them out or, or disown them or beat them. But I mean, imagine you, you know, you find your daughter in bed with some guy or she comes home drunk or you find your son taking drugs or he's smart mouth to you and then comes up to you and ask you, hey, can I have a sleepover? I need a hundred bucks to go play tonight. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really that simple is that even with I tried, if I... Every time I want to put how God is feeling about me into perspective, I look at my own kids because I know that they are doing things that frustrate me and God is looking at me the same way that I'm doing things to frustrate them. I also know this is when my kids are are doing what they're supposed to do and when they're respectful and when they're honest and when they're trying, I don't expect them to be perfect. But when they're just seeking the right things, man, I can't bless them enough. I can't do enough things to give them good things and to raise them up and to love them and to serve them. And really that's all that this verse is saying. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will condemn that field and burn it. And there's nothing more powerful than living a life that has the favor of God. And hear my heart, it, it's, that's not fruity, it's not something like, you know, because God is a spiritual God. We, we would be remiss if we didn't say that. There's no doubt that God is a big, huge spiritual God and can do big, huge spiritual things. But I think we miss God a lot of times because we want the hyper-spiritual experience, right? We walk outside and we want all our shrubs to be on fire, but not burning up with a holy choir of angels, oh, standing out there. It's like, okay, this is going to be a good day. God is here. We expect that sometimes we want those big booming voices of God and the miracles. And there's a funny story about Elijah in the, in the old Testament, where some kids are picking on him and he calls bears down out of the woods to eat the kids. That's in the Bible. (laughs) That's the favor of God. But that's like, that's a little strange, right? But the favor of God is a good thing to have because God works in practical ways. When we moved out here to plant uh, the Genesis Project, it was we made it through Katrina in Louisiana, and it was about six months after the storm. Uh, it was the first house we'd ever bought, so it wasn't too big. We had it on the market for about $142,000. We sold it for $220,000. We were asking $142. We sold it for $220. We like put it for sale, and this bidding war ensued, and it was like because people and the practical thing is, is there was a million people displaced from New Orleans that were looking for a home to live in and our home was in a safe place. But I mean, God used that thing. We came to Utah with $150,000 we didn't expect. And it wasn't because I was a good businessman. It wasn't because I was this super holy guy. It was because I was simply doing what God called me to do. And when you do that, he gives you his favor. I've got a buddy that lives in Baton Rouge. He's a big hunter and he bought 10 acres behind his house. And he had this big idea to build this pond and he was going to stock it with fish. And he trains uh, bird dogs and duck dogs. And so they really budgeted it out and they, they had the plan. And <laughs> this, this guy comes up to him when he buys the land and says, hey, you know what? We tested your soil back there and we're building this subdivision. Would you let us pull out about 10,000 cubic yards of clay? <laughs> he's like, uh, yeah, sure. So he's got excavators in his backyard for months digging his pond just like he wants it. And when they leave, uh, they dug and they hit an artesian well in the bottom of the pond. And so it fills itself up, and it's like this crystal clear green water. And then in Louisiana, it always storms, so it starts storming, and the stream next to it overflows into it. And now it's stocked with perch catfish and bass, and he made money by selling the dirt out of it. And it wasn't his plan. His plan was to pay for it and to do all these things. And to me, that's the beautiful thing about being in God's favor. I don't have an expectation if I give 10 bucks at K2, I get a thousand backs. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you do what God has called you to do, you just have this divine favor, which makes it a whole lot easier to be devoted to God. Because if we spend our time trying to run away from God and have our agenda and do our things and not listen to God, and then when all of the crap hits the fan, we beg and God, oh, I need you right now, then we start pointing fingers and it gets all messy and it's very hard to be devoted to God because then you feel abandoned. But if we can live our life like God has called us to live it, you get his divine favor, which makes it very easy to be devoted to God because we're devoted to people who are devoted to us. And let me tell you, there's no one in the world that's more devoted to you individually than God. But then the next question we have to ask is this, even in that devotion, even when times are good, you see it throughout the scriptures that we are going to be tempted God says, expect persecution. If you look at, I mean, if there was anybody that God wanted to bless, it would have been Paul, right? I mean, this guy gave his life away, the greatest church planter, the greatest missionary in the New Testament. But Paul said he's been shipwrecked, lost at sea, stranded in the water for three days. He's been received the 40 lashes minus one. He's been in prison. He's been abandoned by his own brothers. All this for the glory of God. He had been tempted. He had been beaten and he was devoted So how do we deal with divine temptation? Excuse me. How do we deal with temptation in the midst of divine devotion? The Bible says God will never tempt us. So how do we deal with this this temptation? You know, I really like to look at Paul because if you see in the beginning of Paul's ministry, he was kind of like me, 100 miles an hour, always fired up, always 10 steps ahead, uh, just almost annoying, And he was arguing with Peter about all these things. He was always arguing with people about, I am an apostle. I didn't walk with Jesus, but I met him on the road to Damascus. And every city that he went to before he had to minister, he spent most of his time trying to convince them that he had the authority to minister. And then when he sees Peter eating with the Jews and not with the Gentiles, he rebukes him and he's all up in his face and in front of people. And you see this zealousness in the beginning of his ministry, but not a whole lot of spiritual maturity. But then as, as Paul gets older and you see him write the book of Romans towards the end of his ministry, and he's just been through a lot, he's been fully devoted, he's been tempted. And I think this is a picture of Paul that we can learn from because you just really see him um, getting, just getting mature in his faith. And, and one of the things that we have to remember about being tempted is this, is that we are fully forgiven when we accept Christ. Salvation is easy. We are pure. We are justified. We are in heaven with God. We are the kingdom of God. He dwells in us. But that is not a fire insurance policy. Okay. We can't just say, okay, one, two, three, come into me. I've said the prayer. Now let's go to the strip clubs and get a six pack. That's not what Christianity is about, but that's a, a lot of churches are teaching that these days. And don't get me wrong, I still like to drink a beer every now and then. I like to have some wine. Uh, Alcohol is not a sin. Drunkenness is absolutely a sin. None of us should be in strip clubs. But there's there's some things that we have to think through that just because we are filled with grace and forgiven by God, it is not a license to live how we want to live. And Paul really recognizes this in his maturity. He says in Romans 6, 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? So that grace may increase. And I, I have a tendency to rant every once in a while. And this is one of my favorite rants by Paul in Romans chapter 7. It says this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if, it's such a rant, I can't barely understand it sometimes. And if I do what I want, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. It's like, who's on first, right? It's like, okay, what? (laughs) And I have those freak out moments sometimes where I just start rambling and, you know, but this is God's ramble. But Paul, even at this time in his life, he said, yeah, I struggle. He's not trying to to say, oh, look at me, I'm an apostle. He's not saying, say, oh, you're doing this wrong. You need to act this way. He's saying, look, man, sin is sin. Sin lives in us, whether we're grace filled or not, Our, our meat sacks that we have, this is sinful. And our job is to try and deal with this. One of the greatest ways that we can deal with temptation, I think, is by what Paul says later on in scriptures as well, is that you have to change the way you think. You can't just try to do what is right. Has anybody ever like set the rules? They set their New Year's resolutions and you have all these lists and by like January 15th, you're already done. Every year. Because we try to live up to this standard by just saying, okay, this time I'm going to do it. I think what Paul says in this rant here is that you don't have the power to do it. All your plans, all your programs, all your good intentions, you don't have the power to do what is right. So I think to, to really battle this temptation is to change the way that we think. We have to change the way that we think and the way that we think now is I can do it. I am going to try the way we need to think is that I am going to spend so much time focused on God and doing what God has called me to do. That simply being near him, being in his presence, being changed by him, I'm going to let him have the duty of changing who I am and then fight the battle of what that looks like along the way, because guess what? You're going to stumble. But every time if you stumble, if you beat yourself up and you quit and you throw your hands up, look, everybody's stumbling. Be around people who are stumbling. But this is the trick is true spiritual maturity is not knowing the books of the Bible in order. It's not knowing the right thing that you're supposed to do. It's being mature enough to recognize that you have sin. But every time you stumble to pick yourself up and keep running towards God. That's what spiritual maturity is. People leave churches all the time because they say, oh, he's not giving me meat. I need meat. I need meat. You know what? Go to the butcher. It's not my job to feed you. It's your job to feed yourself. It's my job to equip you to feed yourself. But people talk about spiritual maturity in a context that means they have to know big words. They have to know what ontological equality and economic subordination means. And that makes them really spiritually mature. That doesn't do anybody any good who is struggling. Spiritual maturity is recognizing that God is working things out, that there's a process and that I am going to screw up. But you know what? Today I'm going to screw up less than I did yesterday. And tomorrow I'm going to run even faster towards God. And again, it just really goes back to, I don't have to move this. It goes back to this purity thing. And, and we have to ask ourselves this question is, are we asking God to do something in our lives that we would not do ourselves. Water. Who would have ever thought to bottle water, right? How, how long have we had bottled water now? Is that the most ridiculous idea that made billions and billions of dollars? Why would you bottle water and put it in the store when you can get it out of every faucet? But the lengths that we go to today to get pure water. We live in North Ogden. There's this stump up there that an artesian well comes out of. And my wife is a fanatic. We've got like 7.6 billion gallons buckets that we're constantly going down there and filling up because it's pure water. I'll drink it out of the faucet that my wife loves it, so I bless that. But we spend so much time, and you look around the world in Africa and in Haiti and all these places where they simply don't have water that's pure and we will drink this. This is useful. This quenches your thirst. It, it hydrates your body. You can't live without pure water. And you know, I think about this in reference to ourself, is when God looks at us and God wants to use us and God wants to bless us, it's really a matter, like it says in that farmer in that field, are we usable? Can he take us and use us, which in turn turns into blessings? Blessings. That will increase our devotional life and will make it easier for us to resist temptation and maybe we 've been struggling with pornography, maybe we 've been struggling uh, with just impure thoughts or lust or anger, and those are the things that maybe just cloud up our purity a little bit that those things get in our life, and all of a sudden you know it just doesn 't look as, as as pure as it did before, and it probably doesn 't taste too bad because people, they might not even see it. they may look at that and say that it's beautiful. And then uh, we might have an alcohol problem. We might be struggling with, um, you know, like I said, drinking alcohol is not an issue. But when we abuse alcohol, drunkenness is a sin in scripture. Or maybe um, we have a needle hanging out of our arm all day, every day. Maybe not even that, maybe we just got addicted to pain medicine or something that uh, it started out as a broken hip and a broken leg uh, and then we just couldn't get off of it. Um, I won't show you guys this from the front, but we'll do it from the back. Human spit. You know, that's a little disgusting, right? Human spit in your water, nobody would drink that. But we don't have a problem with sexual contact with people that we don't know, uh exchanging body fluids with strangers all the time, and then maybe my favorite one is uh, oh man, God, don't mind if I smoke it. it's natural. It's natural, just like dirt. it's natural. Let me put it in there. I think I have a worm in here somewhere when I was digging this up this morning. he's in he's in here. it was cold though, he was frozen. That would have been good. He's in there. I'll find him for second service. But just the things that we come encounter with every day in our life. And we keep dumping them into this pure vessel that God's given us. And we just over and over again, we mix it up. Anybody thirsty? I mean, honestly, just be honest. Who would, who would want to come and, and chug this? Anybody want to sip? Ugh. Yeah, not good. You wouldn't drink this, right? Would anybody drink this? Actually, at Genesis one time, I had a kid drink this, and he barfed all over. I had a bucket, though. <laughs> you wouldn't drink this. You wouldn't use it. You wouldn't take it into your body to sustain life. You wouldn't take it into your body to do a healthy thing. How in the world can we pollute ourselves in our lives under the banner of grace every day And then expect God to want to be a part of us, to expect God to want to take what he made as pure and to use it. God's not going to bring this to the world. God's not going to take this into a dark place and say, okay, go, go bless me. Now now hear my heart again. I'm not even saying that this filthy person may be uh, unsaved, but I know what God desires from us is purity. Purity. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't say, keep my commandments to show me that you love me. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll pursue me. There's a really cool song on the radio right now that's talking about being a believer. And it says, it's much more like falling in love than something to believe in. It's like giving your heart away other than pledging allegiance. And that's really the the thing I think that we need to get if we're just going to church If we're just a part of a club, if we're just doing something that makes us look right in the eyes of other men, Mike, you guys can come up. I don't know where you are. We're getting ready to close. Um, If you're just doing these things under the guise of Christianity or religion, you are completely missing the point of what it means to be in a relationship with God. There's no, there's, there's no devotion to a church and an organization and a set of rules that is going to keep you devoted to God. There's no set of rules that you can try to keep to keep you away from temptation without the power of God. And just to really make it simple is this, is that when we make ourselves pure, devoted ourselves to following God and asking God, what do you want from my life today? Then you have the power to do everything that God wants you to do. And if we start with trying to keeping rules instead of devotion to God, we're never going to be able to keep temptations away from us. And I think this is just the key to success here. And I want to close with this verse in second Timothy uh, chapter two, verse 22. It says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call the Lord Call on the Lord with pure hearts. And there's really two things in this verse that are key to giving you success. The first thing is to flee. It says to run away. Don't be yoked together with. Don't team up with things that are unrighteous. But the thing is this, is if all we do is flee, if we're just running away and we're not running to something, you're going to get tired. And it's going to eventually catch up with you. It might be lurking around the other corner. And as you're fleeing, you might run right into it. The verse doesn't just say to flee. It says to run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts, pursue righteous living. So we don't just need to flee and run away something. We need to be running towards something. And really the picture that God put in my mind is like this pack of sixth grade bullies chasing this little boy. And eventually he's going to run out of steam or he's going to come to the end of a road or the end where there's a brick wall on his path and he's fleeing and he's not running anywhere and they're going to catch up with him. But when the sixth grade boy pursues his older brother in 12th grade that plays football and he runs and just stands next to him and he looks at the other kids and goes, now what? The boys run away because we don't just need to flee unrighteousness. We need to run to a safe place. And when you run into the arms of God, when you run into his purpose, when you run into a church that loves you and will mentor you and disciple you and move you forward, that's when the temptation thing is really going to take care of itself. It becomes a symptom of a problem, the problem and the sickness that's been cured by God and what he wants to do in your life, and the symptoms just seem to kind of fall away. Does that make sense? And so let me encourage you with that uh, today. If you pursue God, he will give you the desires of your heart. And I promise you that. And here's the other thing. You don't even know what the desires of your heart are. You think you do. You think that what you want is the desires of your heart. I never wanted to be a pastor. (laughs) Never. Uh, My wife was saved two years before me. She was just praying that I would be nice to her. And now she's a freaking pastor's wife living in Utah. (laughs) Say, watch what you pray for. But let me tell you this, you know, I, I've had incredible corporate success. I've had some musical success. I wanted to be a rock star. That's what I wanted. And I wanted to own a chain of restaurants and I wanted to be a big corporate executive. And man did all those things in my own strength and was always miserable. I wouldn't trade who I am today and what God is doing in my life today for anything in the world. Somebody gave me a multimillion dollar record deal and sent me on the road. I would turn it down. I was actually offered my corporate job back in Katrina when everything was gone and I had nothing to go back to a six-figure salary. And I said, no, this is what God has called me to do because God knows what the desires of your heart are much more than you know what the desires of your heart are because he created you. He made you with a purpose. And let me tell you, if you just quit thinking and overthinking and making plans and rules and what you're going to do and just open yourself to God and say, okay, God, it's you and it's not me. I'm just going to run towards you, and whatever happens, happens. God is going to take you and change you, and your temptations are going to get smaller. He's going to bless you. He's going to mature you. He's going to teach you that he's going to pick you back up and dust you off, and your life is going to get better and better and better. Amen. isn't that what we all want? Amen? Amen. Why don't you guys bow your heads and let me pray for you, and then Mike's going to close us in song and worship. Father God. It's just easy to stand up here and say a lot of these things. Uh, And I know the tough part is when the rubber meets the road. And I just pray uh, more than anything that uh, people wouldn't overthink these words today. That you would just try to make it simple. Is that um, devoting ourselves to you doesn't mean uh, keeping a set of rules. It means to pursue you with all of our hearts. Uh, And when we do that, that you're going to give us your favor uh, you're going to help us uh, stay away from temptations uh, father because we're going to be uh, just so eaten up and so on fire with the new things that you're calling us to do and the new things that you're blessing us with uh, that we're not going to be around the things that tempt us anymore father help us live that pure life i pray that uh, we can pursue the, that pure glass of water that when you look at us that you would see a heart and a life of purity And when you see that, you would say that this is a man that I can use. Father, you say in your word that your eyes look to and fro across the face of the earth uh, to look for a man or a woman whose heart is wholly devoted to you. You said that David was that man and he was a man after your own heart. And and even in all the things that David screwed up, uh, you did miraculous things in his life. You did amazing things. And Father, let us be that. Let us be people whose whole heart is devoted to you that will do anything you ask. Uh, And we just pray that you will do what you say you will do and to take our life and use it and bless it. And Father, thank you for this time. Uh, I just pray for K2. Pray that you would bless her and walk with her as she moves forward uh, and continue to do amazing things here in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys.